Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. So many of you know my story. I'm so glad that you've been here long enough to hear me tell my tale, maybe over and over again. For those of you who are new, welcome. But also, um, let me tell you a little bit about myself and my daughter. So I started this podcast three years ago, unbelievable, but yes, three years ago, next month, to advance more information and knowledge and sharing in the disability community. It all started over 10 years ago when I started my law firm called Special Needs Law Group. Now, I know that the term special needs is a little bit triggering for people, but I definitely um, understand that some have preferences for disability, some has, have preferences for special needs. Uh, special needs law is kind of a term of art. So we went with special needs law group as the name of our company. Then came the podcast, then came Circle of Care, our private Facebook group. And finally, two years ago, we started Special Needs Family Services, which is a company that acts as a fiduciary in all kinds of ways to help people in the disability community. This week, I have someone on my podcast near and dear who um, also suffers from mitochondrial disease like my daughter Elizabeth did. Elizabeth was born in 1996 and diagnosed in 1998 with mitochondrial disease kind of, you know, in the early days before we knew a lot about it. And unfortunately, um, it ravaged her body and all her systems. She was very complicated. She was medically complex. She was a wheelchair user, blind, couldn't speak, just had a lot going on. Um, she died, unfortunately, at age 17 in 2013. And I've been on a mission ever since to not only just remember her and keep her legacy moving forward, but also to use my grief and my joy to fuel my mission of standing tall in the disability community. So my friend Adam Johnson, who I've been following through social media for some time now, was also diagnosed with mitochondrial disease. His story is a little different than our family story, but has had a huge impact on him. And he calls himself the dadvocate. He has a, a unique perspective as someone who is a parent and a spouse and living in the disability community with this rare disease. So we talked about a lot of things, um, you know, what, what his story's like, and also how it is parenting in this unknown day-to-day crisis-filled environment. Um, and he talked about being inspired by Brene Brown, her gifts of imperfection. And I really uh, was inspired by his comment that, you know, you need to give yourself permission to feel. And he took some time to do that. Um, he is so patient and an incredible friend because the first time we recorded this podcast, something went wrong with the recording and we had to do it again. 
So I hope that you would um, hope you'll listen. I hope you'll enjoy this podcast. I hope you'll listen with an open heart to Adam talking about how he was grieving his losses, but didn't realize it. And what happened when he finally went out to seek support in the disability community and how that changed everything for him. So enjoy this podcast. And as always, let me know what you think. Today I have with me Adam Johnson, the dadvocate, who I just love. He is um, a force to be reckoned with in the rare disease community. Welcome, Adam. Thanks for coming to the show. Appreciate it, Annette. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and looking forward to our conversation. Yeah. So listen, I um, have to fess up that this is the second time I'm interviewing Adam because unfortunately I had a problem with our first recording and I felt so bad about that, but Adam's so generous and gracious. He agreed to come back and give me some more time. So thank you so much. And uh, you know, one thing I've learned in being a special needs parent is that, you know, crap just happens sometimes and yes. you just have to deal with it. Right. Yes, that is definitely how it goes. We, we all have been there with the technical difficulties. It's no problem. If anything, Annette, I think that you deserve extra kudos for putting up with me for another, you know, half hour to an hour here. Like, at the- <laughs> Yeah, that's really sweet. But absolutely. I'm, you know, once again, just super excited to hang with you. You are somebody I really admire. And, you know, we do exchange a lot back and forth on social media. But I don't get to see people that I admire and and love to hang out with. So um, this is another great opportunity for me. Um, So Adam, for our audience that doesn't know you, could you kind of back up a minute and just kind of talk about your journey? How did you come here to be this rare disease advocate? Yeah, well, you know, when I kind of take a look back here. I only have to go just a couple of years. Um, and at at that point in time, advocacy wasn't in, in the, you know, realm of, of possibility for me. It wasn't something I had my eye on rare disease. Wasn't a thing for me. I was at at the time, a pretty typically healthy or so I thought, right. 35 year old guy who was just working away in the field of education as I'd done for my entire career. I, um, I'm a former uh, teacher, used to teach elementary school, coach middle school, junior high, high school. And then I, I taught a couple of universities and their undergrad and grad programs. And then I'd moved on to a private curriculum company and I was mm-hmm. traveling across the country teaching educators and it was wonderful. I loved it. Great gig, um, really enjoyed it. And, you know, meanwhile at home, I had my wife and our, our two kids at the time were three and 10 and we were just kind of plugging right along. And then that's when symptoms really started to kind of pop up. And at first, Annette, you know, it was just shove those aside, right? Like, I don't have time for that stuff. Right. Uh, just we're busy. We, right. you know, kids, kids alone will keep you busy enough and, and let alone all the other, other things that life has for you. So I, I shoved it as far aside as I could for as long as I could until I really couldn't anymore. Um, I, I ran into my uh, first fall after a trip um, for work. I was heading, heading back home. I was at an airport, another city and started feeling really terrible. Uh, it was, it was an odd feeling. Hadn't had it before had to sit down, get my bearings. And I ended up missing my flight home, got home late that night, had my first fall. And, um, you know, the symptoms had really caught up to me at that point. And I figured, well, better start investigating. 
And I did that for quite a few months. I've, I've found in the mitochondrial disease world that I'm one of the few that was able to get some answers in a relatively short amount of time. Yeah. And that for me, it was about 10 months, start of the real heavy symptoms to diagnosis. And uh, I, I know that others go years you know, before right. they get, before they get a diagnosis. So in that way, you know, grateful that I was able to figure it out. Not, not to say that there weren't some ups and downs, right. The diagnostic odyssey was brutal. I was told oh. to my face a couple of times after traveling to see different folks, Hey, it's all in your head, get over it. Right. But um, yeah, so that's kind of how I came into the, to the rare disease space. And then it took me a while longer after that to get into the advocacy. Uh, I, I was lost. I didn't know what to do, which direction was up, lost my career, you know, moved on to disability and I have this progressive disease and there's no treatment and no cure. And I didn't know which direction was up. So um, it took, took me a while to kind of come out of that dark hole. But once I did, I figured I needed to find some other folks that I could relate to, that I could connect with, that I could support and also be supported by. And right. then I started in on social media, the, the, you know, rare disease dad is my, my Twitter handle and IG handle. And that, um, that kind of moniker, that advocate that I use um, really stuck with me. And then I started a blog a little bit and now I'm, uh, you know, involved with Mito Action quite a bit, who I know you, you are uh, working with and, and love the folks yeah. over there are fantastic. And so I've had a few partnerships with them, including a, you know, a podcast that I do a series with, um, with them once a month to connect with other parents who have rare disease and then a support group for men who have mitochondrial disease as well. So that's kind of the route that I've taken to get to this, this point where I call myself the dadvocate. <laughs> cool. Yes. I have so many questions. Well, let's just start with those moments that you had with your clinicians and mm -hmm. your treatment providers. Um, so many of us in the rare disease community have experienced that negativity of, you know, they don't believe us, they think it's all in our head, or we're trying to get medication, or we're doctor shopping, or just so many things. And it's, you know, yeah. it's one thing to be the parent having that, you know, happen to you. It's another thing to actually be the patient. Mm -hmm. So what were the, what was that like for you? And can you Talk to me a little bit about, you know, more specifically what some of your experiences were. Yeah, well, I mean, I saw every kind of specialist imaginable in the local area here, Annette, and uh, branched out to a couple of, you know, nearby cities, referral, one referral led to another, led to another, bounced around like a, you know, I don't know, a hot potato or, so yeah. <laughs> or something, uh, couldn't figure anything out. Didn't know what was going on. Let's send you now on a, a, you know, on a long trip to this university, send you down to this specialty clinic in this area, other States, other areas. And, and both of those um, last two trips to out of state venues where it was really, you know, for the most part, highly regarded, highly acclaimed folks who are really good at what they do. Um, and, and, you know, I don't doubt that, and I also think there's room for growth when if you don't know something based on what you're seeing, it's okay to say that rather than jump to a psychosomatic issue or, you know, basically call somebody to, to the carpet, say, hey, this is all in your head, get over it, move on. That is brutal. And it took a huge toll on me. Um, absolutely brutal. And I, you know, I'm thankful for uh, the, the, the doctor that I was able to find here locally, who eventually did come to the conclusion of, of the mitochondrial disease through a clinical diagnosis 
Um, even though I know that we've kind of moved in the science towards the uh, genetic component, the, right. the only revelations there have so far have been variants of uncertain significance, but maybe the science will, will dial that in at some point for me a little later on as well. But yeah, I would say overall, the journey was just tough. It was brutal. And I, I have so much empathy for everybody who's been in that situation, whether it's one appointment or 15, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's one, one visit over a course of a day to a journey that's been, you know, multiple years or decades in some cases where they just don't know. And um, I, I think, yeah, that's what really was lacking in some of those situations with folks who wrongly accused me of lying, basically, you know, right. um, like there, there was no empathy there whatsoever. Um, and it was yeah, tough. That's, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. I, I just for the audience, for those of you who don't know what psychosomatic is, because I'm not sure what level of, you know, what level you're listening. Um, that just means that the doctors think that some psychiatric condition is causing a, an actual uh, physical aspect or a physical illness in your body, some impact on your body. And so while they're not saying that you're making it up, if they say it's psychosomatic, they're saying that there's some mental illness or psychiatric condition that is causing you to have these physical symptoms. That's pretty much it. I'm not a clinician, but you know, having been there with that as well. (laughs) Yeah. Well, same, same here, Annette. And I think that was a good you know, good, good uh, uh, explanation there. I think that, you know, one of the points that I would also like to make along those lines is regardless of whether somebody thought it was a psychosomatic issue. So it was all in my head. I just needed to stop it and get over it basically and move on and push through, or there was some undiagnosed at the time cause for what was going on. Regardless, I felt like an absolute failure. Yeah. It was horrible, right? Like I finally had to you know, step away from work for bits at a time to try to get things figured out. And then once I did get my diagnosis, then I, you know, that was it for me. My doctor came in and said, Hey, here's what you've got. Uh, Here's a, you know, a a diagnosis for you. I thought that meant a treatment and a cure. And he said, no, not so much. There's no treatment. There's no cure. We can try to manage your symptoms. And that's the name of your game now. And uh, I'll get going on, you know, some disability paperwork and I'm just going, what in the world is happening? So, you know, I felt like a failure for my, my wife, my kids, my family, my job, my, you know, the team that I was managing, the folks that I was working with and for, Mm -hmm. man, oof, no good, no good. And let's just talk for a minute about men and illness, because while I don't want to paint a broad, too broad of a brush for everybody there are some sort of threads that go through the, you know, the male gender um, and, and community around having illness, especially an illness that you can't identify. So it's one thing to have a heart attack because guys know heart attacks, right? You know, you have them, you do the surgery, you come back home, you play golf again, whatever right. that means to people. But when you have these conditions that you can't get an easy answer to there's no blood test that says, Hey, here's what you got. Mm -hmm. You know, it, I think for men who just a lot of times are doers and supporters, they don't want to be sick Mm -hmm. and they don't want to be on this journey. They want to be told that they're not sick. Yep. And you know, but, but you've got these crippling conditions that keep occurring. And so I can see where that sense of failure just 
creeps in at, at times, you know? Yeah. What and then the questions, learned? Oh, sorry, Annette. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. What have you learned with the, you know, working with the male community or the dad community about this chronic illness piece? Yeah, I think, you know, like, like you said, I don't want to paint with too, too broad of a brush here. Uh, everybody's going to experience things in their own way, have their own feelings. And those are all valid, you know, however you experience things, no matter who you are, it's all valid. And that's something that I'm really learning to grab onto. It's mm -hmm. something that I probably come to grips more with as I've, you know, gone through this diagnosis and started getting help for my mental health as well. Um, going to therapy once a week, because it is very, you know, personal, trying, difficult situation uh, that, that does weigh on me a lot. Um, you know, I would say that generally speaking, there are others that go through similar challenges and the general purview of what it's like to be a, a male, you've got to be strong. You got to push through, you got to be tough. Right. Yeah. I mean, I felt that I felt that heavily early on, especially, and, you know, even bef or before all of this started, that would have been the way that I would have gone. It's the way I tried to go. I started out by telling you, yeah, when I first had symptoms, I don't have time for that. Push through, move forward. It's fine. I'll be good. And then I just couldn't anymore. And it's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. I, I not standing in your shoes, but I can imagine and, and empathize with how you must've been feeling. So, and then having to lean on your wife, I'm sure that was hard. So what was that like for you? Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's really tough. It's tough now, even, you know, with uh, all the different needs that, that I have, the things that I can't do anymore, the things that I want to be able to do that I don't or, or can't. And I'll tell you, I hate using that word can't to Annette. <laughs> it's still, I'm just like, every time yeah. I say it, I'm like, yeah, I can't go out and, you know, mow the lawn or I can't go out and run with my kids or play ball like I used to or want to, or, you know, I mean, for me, even like, I'm just sitting here in my bedroom, looking across at my ventilator, my breathing machine that I have, because that's a component of this disease. that's impacting my respiratory muscles that aren't mm -hmm. functioning the way that they're supposed to now. Like I can't even get through a day without strapping into that thing for a while. And that does then in turn, put a lot of additional weight onto my wife, onto my kids. And those are a couple of the hardest, you know, aspects of navigating through this when I, you know, I envisioned my role, my, my um, life as a husband, as a dad way differently. And I'd experienced it differently, right? Quote unquote, sure. normally for me, my sure. normal way for the first 15 years of marriage and for the first 10 years of being a dad. And then all of a sudden it shifted and changed. And that's difficult, not just for me, but that's difficult for the family as well. I hear you. I'm wondering if you could just uh, change your language because language is so powerful. Instead of saying can't, you could say, I choose to support my health today with this, you know, whatever it is. I choose yeah, not yeah. to mow the lawn because I know that I'm supporting my good health today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I know that's really hard, um, but it may, maybe it'll be helpful. Or maybe you could find some other language that supports you in a better way than what I've just said. But yeah. I think just language is so powerful. And that word can't 
what a downer, you know, that's, yeah. that's brutal. Um, it will eat at you if you keep <laughs> using those words. Yeah, well, it can, it definitely can. And I like that idea of exploring some other ways to think about it. And I also know for me, it's not quite so bad anymore with that. I'm because I, even, even if I say I can't physically do something, which honestly is the case, right? That doesn't yeah. make me any less of a person. It doesn't make me any less of a husband. It doesn't make me any less of a dad. And I'm starting to kind of come around on some of those things, right? Like, and, and so that's, yeah. that's a helpful component. And I think this, this might be an example of that shift that you're talking about a little bit. I, I read, uh, and I talk about this quote all the time. It's one of my favorites because it impacted me so much. I read Michael J. Fox's new book, No Time Like the Future. Yeah. And I connected with it on so many levels and that it was fantastic. But at one point in the book, he was discussing how a mistake that he made was thinking that his children were looking at all the things that he can't do, but really they see through the disease and they see their dad. Right. And I read that and it was just like, boom, it clicked for me. Now I'm not going to say I don't have some trouble sometimes or struggle with things because I certainly do. And I can allow myself to have that space. And then I can come back around and that's a, a nice kind of grounding sentiment that is very helpful for me. 100%. That's, that's very, um, I'm kind of getting goosebumps. So that's, that's really cool. Um, and also that you have an open heart enough to be able to let in those new messages when you read a book or a blog post, because I want to ask you now about, you know, what is that shift that you made? Everybody that I talk to that has gone from thinking about themselves to, to, you know, thinking about the community as a whole and extends themselves. There's, there's usually a moment there or some kind of, you know, yeah. twist yep. that sends them down that advocacy path. Mm -hmm. What was it for you? Well, I'd say there's, there's two different things It kind of almost came in like two little phases for me. And the first was when I was sitting there in the doctor's office after I got my diagnosis and he basically kind of gave me this little handout that gave me little snippets about mitochondrial disease. And I had nothing else to go off of, no support, no anything. And I started in with the Google machine, right? Like how can <laughs> I find some help, some resources? And I found MitoAction and I, I finally said, you know what, I'm just going to call in and do this support call deal and see what happens. And then I waited a while, right. And didn't do it. And then I finally, yeah. finally did it. And that first call, when I called in there, it was like, oh my gosh, I finally found some people that can relate a little bit. They can listen, they can offer some help. They can offer some resources. And that was really a, a big moment for me because I knew that I needed to find other people that could relate to. I felt like the only person in the world going through something like that as a fairly young guy experiencing those things, right? I felt like the only parent, the only dad going through those things. And that leads me to my second point. Then after I started in with Mito Action, I was thinking, man, maybe I should share a little bit more about my journey. There's got to be other people out there. Maybe I can find them. And so then I started in on social media. And one of the first posts that I, that I found was that moment that you described where it was like, okay, there is somebody else going through something like this, like me. It was from Brian Wallach, who's this wonderful advocate for ALS, an ALS um, patient, and him and his wife, Sandra Bravia are, are phenomenal folks. But I saw a tweet that Brian sent out probably about two and a half years ago now. And he 
he talked about uh, being at a, at a park. If I just summarize this, being at a park and, and seeing his girls rolling down the hill and just giggling and laughing. And he said a part of him seethed at the progression of his disease, because when he looked back to say a year prior, he would have been doing that with them. And another part of him was grateful to hear their laughs and their giggles and to be able to kind of laugh along with them. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that I'd seen somebody else really express exactly what I was feeling and exactly what I was going through. Even though we've got different diagnoses, different projections, it was like, okay, there are some other folks out there. And that kind of led me further down the road of advocacy and really helped encourage me to start the Parents is Rare series of Energy and Actions podcast uh, through, through Mito Action to connect with other parents who might have some similar thoughts. Because there's lots of lots of discussion that needs to be had. There wasn't really that space that I could find just yet. So um, at the encouragement of some other wonderful advocates, you know, I, I started that space because that's kind of what you have to do when it's not there yet. Yeah, that's what most people do. They, they have a need, they realize that it's not there and they take it that extra step and create it, not just for themselves, but for everybody that needs it. And yes. that's, the wonderful thing about putting yourself out there. It's um, one of the things that I talk about during the holidays. It's a tough time for many, many people, right? Mm-hmm. Because our family doesn't always look like what we expected it to be or what it looks like when we look at other people's holidays, right? Right. right. Um, but one of my uh, little um, advice pieces of advice that I give is that just extending yourself to somebody else when you feel Mm -hmm. crappy to make them feel better, it also makes you feel better. So if you can't get out of your own funk about what's going on with you, extend yourself and help someone else. And you'd be surprised at how quickly you get raised up out of, you know, where, where you are out of your feelings there. Um, So I, I, absolutely hear this story kind of over and over again. And I, I am so appreciative for people who were not only able to just master their own illness, disease and life, but also take it that one extra step further. And so what are some of the things that you're doing now? You've got this um, Parents is Rare podcast, which is so cool. What and what other stuff are you doing? Well, I'm connecting with some other folks that I haven't had a chance to connect with before, whether it's some folks that I've known a little bit since the beginning of advocacy or others who I haven't met yet. And that's been one of the biggest things for me is to be able to connect with other people and have those discussions, have those conversations. And then whether it's through the podcast or other avenues, it's great to continue that relationship, to be able to check in, you know, see how people are doing, have them do the same for me it's really meaningful because there are other aspects that I, that I don't have anymore. You know, some other communities that I was a part of other families that I was a part of that are just removed from my life out Mm. of the blue and filling some of those holes is, is, is fantastic. Um, A couple of the other things that I've been able to do that have really helped for me are advocating with my legislators, even though I feel like it's beat my head against the wall. Sometimes I'm still going to go back and keep doing it. Right. Because what other choice do we have? We've got to raise our voices and and make them be heard and advocate for what we 
need help from them for. And if we, if we don't, then we're definitely not going to be heard. So I've started doing those types of things, which has been really helpful and great. And I've also been, you know, very, very privileged and, and lucky to be able to speak at a couple of engagements, uh, uh, conferences for, for Nord and one coming up for Global Genes and just had a webinar that I was able to do with Global Genes just a couple of weeks ago. And those things are more meaningful to me than I really, really would have thought initially, Annette, because that's what I used to do. I used to get in front of people and speak and share yeah. and teach and I lost that aspect of my life and I thought it was gone. Yet there's this other avenue that I never even thought of before that's presented itself now. And as emotionally taxing as it can be in the world of advocacy, I, I wouldn't change it at all. I really love it. And I'm, I'm thankful that I'm in kind of that position to be able to share my story and hopefully in, in turn connect with others and support them as well. Those are some things that really help me. Mm you know, navigate and move forward. Of course, outside of, of my family and, and my kids are a big driving force there too. But um, having that sense of purpose is really important. Yeah, you're truly a community builder, bringing that all together, all of those skills that you had. And you haven't forgotten that you, just because you're a little different now, you still have all of those old skills that you can yeah. lean on and bring to as a force to bear. Well, I appreciate that. And it's, it's helpful reminder, even, you know, you just presenting it in that way is helpful for me, Annette, because there are times when I do forget those things, mm -hmm. um, just because I'm not utilizing the content knowledge, the area of expertise or, or areas of expertise that I gained through my professional development or through my undergraduate or graduate degrees doesn't mean I'm not doing those things. And, and a, a former a colleague of mine, helped remind me of that. She noticed in one of my, one of my tweets, I think it was, I said that I'm a former educator. And she said, you need to get rid of that word former because that's not the, about the case. And I thought about it. I was going, oh, it was yeah. like an aha moment. Like, yeah, you're right. Even now it's still uncomfortable sometimes, right? Cause I'm not an expert in the field of mitochondrial disease. I'm not an expert in the field of mental health, but those are things that I know about now. They're things that I live with and I am an expert in my experience in those things. Right. So I can share those things and really took her advice to heart and added that, you know, or, or took away the former and just left it at, at educator because uh, I, I feel like I still am, like you just said, utilizing some of those, you know, those skills um, from my, from my pre-diagnosis life, I guess you could call it to try to, you know, try to do right. some good here moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Those solid soft skills that you had. And I agree with the educator piece. Uh, 100%. I think that maybe your next thing should be a TED talk. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. I hadn't thought of that yet either. But that, you know, honestly, that's how the podcast started too, Annette. I was a guest on, on my friend Effie Parks, her podcast, Once Upon a Gene. And yeah. while we were talking, she, she was the one who initially threw it out. That she goes, hey, maybe you should do a Maybe you should do a podcast. I'm like, yeah, no, 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 not doing that. And that was my first mistake because Effie's always <laughs> right. She, <laughs> she always nails it. Uh, and lo and behold, a few months later, I was in the works with it. So maybe, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe a TED talk is next. I hadn't considered that before. <laughs> I think that would be brilliant. You uh, just being able to talk about this topic of you know parents as rare. It. It's uh, very unique and not everybody has the ability to step out into the limelight like you're doing. So yeah, think about it. Could be awesome. 
Yes, I will. Um, Thank you. So I think what I'd really love to kind of close up with is you've learned so much and what would be your number one or two tips to a parent in similar shoes as yours, who's just been diagnosed with a rare disease? Yeah, I would say probably, probably a couple of things in that one would be, I would fall back on that phrase that I utilize a lot now after I read Dr. Mark Brackett's book, Permission to Feel. And I would say, give yourself permission to feel. There are so many emotions that will run their course and re, you know, resurface at various times throughout this entire journey. And for me, I know that when I try to suppress those emotions and, and shove them aside or bury them down, mm-hmm. that proves to be very unhelpful. I, I need to recognize that I'm experiencing those things. And I also think it's important to give others permission to feel as well. Sure. So that's something that I, I would definitely mention, you know, our emotions really matter. And um, with, with that, I would say one big prominent emotion that came up for me was, um, well, one big feeling I had was grief. I was grieving and I didn't really realize that I was grieving uh, most of the time, you know, at least for me uh, early on in this process, grief was something that I really you know, related to, to death. And, uh, in, in, you know, in reality, we grieve any kind of loss that we might, you know, incur over, over time. So that was something I didn't realize that that was big for me. And I've since come to realize that and recognize that. And then next I would say seeking support and seeking community Mm -hmm. is really, is really key. That was a big turning point for me. And I would definitely encourage others to, to, you know, to seek that out. And, and again, if it's not there in whatever way that you might need it, then, you know, explore some possible ways to, to, you know, maybe bridge that gap or, or start the conversation yourself uh, as, as hard as that can be when you're balancing everything else. That's been a big help for me in, in a way, even though it seemed daunting at first. So when you mentioned grieving, uh, I just want to get on that topic for just one second before I let mm-hmm. you go. I think people listening might not realize what we're grieving for. And we're grieving that life that we imagined that we were going to have, right? That's what you're thinking. Absolutely. And I, you know, you, you can definitely relate to that, Annette, right through the experience that you and your family have had with, with your daughter. And um, I've learned that for, for me, um, the, the grieving is really a, a couple of parts. The, the one is very much so what you described, that life that you thought you would have is now gone or altered or very different than it was, you know, going to be, how it was going to be planned out in your in your head. The other was I, I was grieving the life that I had before mm. and the grieving of the life that I had at the time. So there's almost like three different parts there that I was really grieving and it really shocked me and hit me when I was like, Oh my gosh, I am grieving these things. And right. that's perfectly natural and, and okay to do. Um, and then, you know, acknowledging those things and, and seeking some support was really helpful for me. I, one book that, that I read along those lines that really helped me kind of navigate some of those things was Megan Devine's work called it's okay that you're not okay. Yes. 
she's fantastic. And even yes. though she, you know, the, the impetus for her writing the book was the loss of her husband. Uh, you know, I related to so many different points and she, you know, is one of the first to point out as well that you grieve everything. It's not just, it's not just death, but you know, it obviously can be, but um, there's other, other things that we grieve. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I've been kind of processing or thinking through it a little bit. And it ebbs and flows too. So you have, you know, stronger feelings at different points of your life and other times it quiets down there's this great adage, you've probably seen it that says, don't look backwards, you're not going in that direction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you need to look forward. But even with that, you know, I still, I still had grief, even before Elizabeth passed away, even looking Mm -hmm. forward, because thinking about all of the nevers. Oh, she's mm-hmm. never going to graduate from high school. She's never going to go to college. She's never right. going to get married. She's never going to have children. You know, um, she's never going to get out of that wheelchair. Mm-hmm. She's never going to say mommy to me. Mm-hmm. All of the nevers just keep going forward and forward and forward. And right. certainly grieving when somebody dies is more familiar to people, mm-hmm. but even mm-hmm. then, People don't understand the grief process. It's so complex. Mm-hmm. It, I it really, really appreciate is. you yeah. mentioning that. That that's that's really significant. Um, and seeking support and community is just the linchpin between for many people, not everybody, between you know thriving and just surviving. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's why you do what you do. That's why I do what I do. That's why MitoAction is there because it was started by a parent who yeah, yeah. needed this, you know, level of support and wanted to wanted to bring that fruit forward for everybody. Well, I just can't thank you enough for being on the show. Thank you for doing a second run with me <laughs> <laughs> and for forgiving. Uh, so much that went wrong the first time around with our recording. I'm so grateful for you. And I'm so glad that you're here for our Mito community. Thanks so much, Adam. Well, it's my pleasure, Annette. Thank you for for taking the time with me here. I've really enjoyed it. And thank you for all the work that you do as well. Couldn't, couldn't, uh, you know, say enough good things about you. I appreciate it and look forward to continuing to stay in touch and seeing all the great things you're going to keep doing as well. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.